Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Check one, check one, two. Hey guys, it's Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. How are you today? Hope you're doing well. It's February 2014. And that means we have a new offer code for our sponsor Squarespace. It is rock on, which is great because John always used to sign his emails, still does, not always, but much of the time, rock on, comma, John. <laughs> True story. Anyways, so that's our new code for Squarespace. Is It's rock on, which I think is more appropriate than slash. You know, I felt a little weird when I was saying the promo code for Squarespace was slash during the DJ Ashba episode just because uh, God forbid Axel was listening. Oh my God, they mentioned Slash. Who knows? This is a cool episode. It, it was went out live over the stream last Friday and we have a couple guests. Dean from Leatherwolf, Ronnie from Red Dragon Cartel. So let's stay tuned for, for those guys. And let's uh, hear from our sponsor and get into the episode. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com, use offer code ROCKON, R-O-C-K space O-N. All caps. Rock on. And speaking of rocking on, let's rock on with Talking Metal. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Talking Metal Live. This is Victor over in Spain, and in Jersey City, New Jersey, we have John Astronomy. Hey, it's John Astronomy. Hello, world. Hey, and I'm here too, Mark Striegel. What's going on, guys? 
What's going on? John was just telling me he's surrounded by football players, practically. Correct. They, they can't resist me. No, um, what's really happening is that the Super Bowl is here in New York City slash New Jersey, and I am right in the middle of uh, everything, and I work in Times Square, and Times Square from 49th Street to 34th Street, which I don't really consider Times Square, is now called uh, Super Bowl Boulevard, and there's rides and all kind of crazy stuff going on. And then in my hometown, about a four-minute walk from me, the Denver Broncos are staying at the Hyatt Hotel, and then uh, just a couple of steps away from that, uh, the Seattle Seahawks are staying at the Westin, which is uh, one of my favorite. Wait, hotels. now these are hotels so, in New York uh, City, I, or these are hotels in Jersey? Jersey City, Jersey City, like the, right that Hyatt, right down the street from you. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and then the Westin's literally where when my girlfriend and I first started going out before we really knew each other. Uh, when she first came to New York to visit, she stayed at the Westin. And uh, that's where the Seahawks are at. So it's and I've I've stayed in the Westin uh, uh, before, and uh, despite the fact that I live right down the street, so uh, it's really cool. But yeah, that Hyatt that was literally uh, that might even be on the street that you used to live on, Mark. I'm not sure. But. Yeah, I don't think it's well. I used to live on Morgan Street, so it's not it, right. it's not on Morgan Street. But Morgan. I I know I know where it is. Uh, Emily's dad stayed yeah. at that place, so I've actually been in yeah. there. Great hotel. Uh, and uh, yeah, d- definitely kind of an exciting feeling in the air here in the New York City, New Jersey, North New Jersey area with the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, initially, I was kind of dreading all these crazy lunatics coming into town, but I don't mind them. I mean, I, I actually uh, it's nice to see tourists here. I'm sure it's good for the economy and uh, it's nice to see people experiencing the great city of New York and the great state of New Jersey. Definitely. Let's talk about the guest. Oh, go ahead, John. we got to mention the guests, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Coming up, guys, I want to let you know that we have Ronnie Mancuso, bass player from the great new band Red Dragon Cartel, featuring Jake E. Lee. And we also have Dean Roberts from Leather Wolf. He is going to be talking with us for about seven, eight minutes, telling us what he is up to and what Leather Wolf, the band, is up to. One of one of my favorite records for like a month's period <laughs> back when I was like probably 18, 17, 18 was that, that, that I think it was like a self-titled leather wolf record. Some people called it leather wolf Two, the one with uh, the calling on it, such a great record. And anyways, leather wolf is alive and well, it's not all the original members, but it's some of the important original members like Dean. He's going to fill us in on who's in the band and what they're up to nowadays. Excellent, Mark. Victor, how you been? What's going on in Spain? What's going on in Spain? Rain, rain, and more rain. Uh, personally, been doing pretty well these last few days, so I can't complain about that. And ready to uh, talk about not only um, to talk to Ronnie, but uh, uh, discuss some of the topics that we have on tap for this week. Some interesting things that have been going on anyway. Yeah, definitely. And let's uh, get into that in a minute. First, I'd like to mention we just got a great donation. Wow, this is a great donation from a guy named Jeff. Jeff, thanks so much. I'm going to hit up your request in an upcoming podcast and talk a little bit more about uh, you supporting us. But I appreciate that donation. It just came in just now. And I wanted to mention also... 
that I am giving away Striper tickets and Loudness tickets for their shows in April in New York City. If you want them, send me an email at mark at talkingmetal.com. It's real easy. You get two tickets. Just send me your name. If you like Loudness or you like Striper or you like both. One, one winner uh, per prize. So you can't win both prizes. But those should be fun shows. What did I, where did I say they're playing, John? Stage 48? Is that the name of the place? Yeah, that's a uh, fairly new venue. Um, and it's on the west side of Manhattan. It's between the West Side Highway and 11th Avenue. And it's on 48th Street, which you music lovers may know as a really important street for music. But sadly... Uh, most of the stores that sold music gear have left 48th Street, so that's that's a sad thing for me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I was over at the new Sam Ash today. Yeah, it's a cool place, on though. On 34th, like the just because I was right. kind of stalking the Howard Stern birthday bash, which was going on over there this afternoon, so I walked by Oh, there. where was that at? That was at Hammerstein. I saw some of the, oh, the cool. whack Packers hanging out in front. As the Pavarazzi wow. took their picture, but yeah, it seemed like a nice Sam Ash. I, I uh, checked out a couple Gibsons over there, and it's always uh, I always love looking at guitars. And Definitely. hey, Victor, do you own guitars? I know you're kind of more of a drummer, but do you play you play guitar too, right? Nice. Wow, look at you. Now, guys, is a kill switch on a guitar is that like a new thing? Is cuz I don't like I don't I didn't really know much about a kill switch before I researched the DJ Ashba guitar. Pickups, right. Wow. Do it a little smoother, even like that, 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 like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's weird is that, yeah, Ace, what Ace would do, guys, uh, is, is that a Les Paul has a pickup selector switch, which has three positions, and he'd turn off the rhythm uh, volume knob for the rhythm pickup, and then. He'd quickly move the toggle switch, which is, which is on the top part of the Les Paul, and uh, that would create this on-off effect. Now, Buckethead used to have like a video game-style switch, and he'd hit that, and that was a kill switch. And uh, that, I mean, it literally was like the same kind of button you'd see on Asteroids or something like that. And then, uh, now, DJ Ashbridge, uh, I, I was looking at that guitar. Is the kill switch in the position that the normal pickup selector is, Mark? Yes, it is. And then the, yeah, the toggle wow. the toggle switch is, you know, down lower, closer to the volume the knobs. knobs. Yeah. Which yeah, is funny because I have an old Gibson Explorer from the 80s and the toggle switch on that Gibson Explorer is actually located down by the volume knobs. Wow. Yeah, I, re I remember that Explorer. If you Didn't look at James Hatfield have Yeah, one? if you look at old pictures of Hat Hatfield before he was 
endorsing ESP played a Gibson Explorer. It's actually the same model I have, like the 83, 84 era Gibson Explorer has the toggle switch down by the, um, by the uh, what do you call it? Volume, Volume and, and tone, yeah. yeah. Now, I believe M- M- Mateus Jabs, is that how you pronounce his name? Mateus Jabs? I think so, yeah. I, I used to always say Matthias, I don't Matthias, know. Matthias, whatever. Yeah, from the Scorpions. Matthias, Yeah, it has the same Gibson Explorer in certain pictures. Yeah, no, that's a great Explorer. And uh, Mark has always been known, in my opinion, as an Explorer player. And you have, like, several. You have, like, at least three that I know. Three, The black yep. one, yep. The, re- uh, the wine red, which... I love that finish. I would love to, at some point, get a uh, wine red Les Paul custom. Uh, oh, that'd be nice. And uh, yeah, those are nice. Now, what's weird is I used to have a, a natural explorer, which I loved, and I had that because uh, Ace used to have the Ibanez Destroyer, which was the old, not the the reissue like Victor has which is like a slightly different shape, but uh, like the old one that was like an Explorer copy. But believe it or not, you know whose Explorer I have? I, I, I'll i tell you guys offline, but I've got a white Explorer now. And let me just say that uh, it used to be owned by a member of a really cool band who is really famous, and uh, the, the name of the band starts with an M. But let's just leave it at that. All right, all right, very good. Hey, Let's get into my interview right now with Dean Roberts from the great band Leatherwolf, who have a live record out, a new live record out. Dean's going to tell us all about it. But let's get into some classic Leatherwolf right now. This is Cry Out off of that 1987 Leatherwolf record. It might have been even 88, I'm not sure, but uh, the classic one that I was talking about earlier. Cry Out by Leatherwolf, followed by a catch-up interview He's going to catch us up to what Leatherwolf has been up to for the last 20 years <laughs> in a short, brief interview that I recorded with Dean Roberts yesterday.
This is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and on the line we have Dean Roberts of Leatherwolf. Dean, thanks so much for joining us. You guys have a great new live record out called Unchained Live. Let's talk about some of the people who are involved in mixing and mastering this record. Uh, Michael Kramer, um, we had a, like a two-week run in the East Coast, so we bring Michael Kramer out to record the tour, and then um, we got uh, Roy Z, who was a really good friend of ours, just loves Leatherwolf, wanted to mix it, so he mixed it, and then Tom Baker... Uh, He's like the master god, mastered it. And uh, at the end of the day, we were totally blown away by how, how great it sounded because of these guys. Cool. Where was this recorded? We recorded all of our shows on a two-week run. Uh, it was on the East Coast. It was in Chicago. It was all over the place. Man, we went to New York. We went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I forgot the names of the clubs. I got, it. I got them somewhere, but not, not, not off the top of my head. So it wasn't just one show. You guys recorded a bunch of different shows all over the place. Well, we recorded them all, and then we took the best the best, best performances. Right on. Cool. Rob Math is a fairly new member of the band. Can you talk about how he came to be in Leatherwolf? Yeah, he uh, he plays with... Uh, Mikey does some some stuff on the side for other bands, and Ingve's uh, bass player was uh, on a tour in Europe, and so they asked Mike to come play, and Rob Math was playing guitar for him, and that's how we met Rob, and then Rob came over and we started... Uh, just playing around with Leatherwolf stuff, and uh, he just nailed it, you know. And Jeff Gayer is uh, such a good guitar player. It's really hard to find guys that can play that stuff as good as Jeff did. And Robbie just nailed it. And he said, dude, this is killer, I'm in. Nice. For any Talking Metal listener who might not be familiar with who currently is in the band, can you run down the other members for us? Me? I'm an original. Mike Oliveri is an original. Pat Guyton is a bass player. He, uh, he's been playing with, with us since, like, what would it be, like, 91. And uh, um, Greg Erba, the guitar player, another good guitar player. I've known him for, like, 10 years. And every once in a while, um, you know, Paul Carmen will play shows when we, we go international or we, uh, you know, got some dates that uh, Pat can't make. Because Pat's a, he's an artist. He's a famous artist. Ah, okay. So he has to do uh, his paintings for people. So sometimes he can't make some of these weekend runs. I was a fan of you guys back in the late 80s, and I must admit, I kind of lost track of Leatherwolf in the 90s. 
I was recently turned on to you guys again, partly by this new live record that came out. Can you give us the short version of what went on with Leatherwolf between 1990 and the early 2000s? Well, what happened was um, Carrie, Mike, and Jeff wanted to do something different, and they wanted to do it without me and without Paul Carmen. And so they started uh, their DL, which a uh, different band, and started playing uh, probably like from 90 on to like 96. Nothing panned out, so no one was doing nothing. And then in like 98, uh, one of our friends, Jennifer Perry, I was having a birthday party at the Troubadour in Hollywood, so they asked us to come play. So we went and played the show, and we were sitting around talking, and we decided to start recording a record. And um, we started doing it, and um, Mike and... Carrie and Pat were just too busy doing other things, so we just got other people to, to do the world, the new world asylum stuff, the world asylum stuff. And then that that came out, and then uh, we started playing some international shows, and then Wade, you know, lost interest and wanted to do something else. So Mikey came back, and um, he was blown away by the record, so he resang it, and uh, we put it out as New World Asylum. Then we went on tour for I don't know, like three months in Europe. And then we've just been doing off and on shows since then with um, with different guys, you know, because back then it was it was the original guys. And then um, other people had commitments, so we just had to find other people to play. So when you say Michael re-recorded the World Asylum record and then it was renamed New World Asylum, were you unhappy with Wade's original vocals on the World Asylum record? No, it's just that, you know, Leather Wolf is Leather Wolf, you know, and Mike's always been the face of the band, and and we figured if we're going to go play those songs and tour that music, it'd be nice to have the original singer on it, you know? Right, totally, totally. Are you guys talking about doing new music? Are you writing new music? Well, we've been writing music for the last four years. It's just, uh, you know, we all are kind of busy, so it was hard. it's hard to, you know, you know commit to the rest, <laughs> And so we just decided to do the live record and just see what panned out with shows and with the, with the crowd and with the draw and the sales before we decided to jump into another record. Who were some of your influences as a drummer? Um, John Bonham was one of my favorite drums. Uh, the guy from Deep Purple, Ian, I think it's Ian Pace. Um, the guy from The Who, um, Simon Phillips. I always like Simon Phillips. And I like John... What's it, Jazar, John Jazarbek? I forget his name, but he plays with with Halford. Bobby Jarzambek, yeah, he's with the uh, Fate's Warning now, actually. He was killer, and Cozy Powell was killer, too. Some of the classic albums by Leatherwolf from the ladies are not up on Spotify or iTunes, for that matter. I see them up on your website, but they're you know they're not on the big retail outlets like iTunes. Uh, is there a reason for that? Um, we're just trying to work out stuff with Island, you know, get the rights back so we can legally do that. Dean, thanks so much. Uh, what song should we wrap things up with here off the new live record, Unchained? Um, well, probably, what's my favorite? Riser Fall.
Guys, what you just heard was Leatherwolf live with our friend Dean Roberts on drums. Dean, one of the original members of that band, he is playing with them. Once again, he's been back in the, the band quite some time at this point. But there was a period, as Dean explained to us, back in the 90s where he wasn't in the band. And uh, Michael sounds great on vocals. You always want to hear Michael singing Leatherwolf songs, as Dean explained in the interview to us. So thank you, Dean, for joining us. And before Dean and I started the interview, Dean had to go relieve himself. And uh, I was on the phone, so I actually got to listen to Dean take a, a nice horse piss in the toilet. I actually have it. <laughs> I, I actually have it on my my uh, computer. It's recorded, so maybe I'll share that with you guys sometime. Here's what I don't. Let, let me tell you guys this, and you, I may offend both of you or the listeners by saying this, but here's the deal: if you're at a stall, you guys know what a stall is, correct? Like not not a uh, not a stall, a urinal, right? Yes. Okay, urinal. There's a little water in the bottom of the urinal, but I don't think you're supposed to aim it into that water because that makes that sound as if you're going into a toilet. I think that you should aim it at the porcelain so you don't hear a sound. That's my opinion. That's cool. What do you think? You guys, I, I don't know. Like I never end? really thought. I really never. I never really thought you about. You go it. right I, into the water. Yeah, I usually go right into oh, okay. the water. Okay, I apologize for that because I apologize for offending you because, like, like they say in the prayer, uh, "Oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for offending you or thee." Um, I like it when you hit the porcelain and there's no sound. That's my thing. Become a Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld uh, <laughs> conversation all of a sudden. But uh, I, I'm actually with John. You know, I normally don't aim down because you usually splash yourself. So correct. Uh, yeah. oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. And which I, 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 which I have guys, done actually. Yeah. Let me tell you this, guys. Okay. We're going to get right back into metal in a minute. But and Dave Burke, um, by the way, checking in on Facebook, and he says, "Yes, fl- splashback." Yes. Well, that's guess what? You go into a restaurant and everybody, all the people take their napkin and put it on their lap. Let me tell you, no matter where you aim it, um, you're hitting that urinal. There's some like microscopic splashback. So you may be putting your napkin down on your lap and then you like wipe your mouth. And guess what? You may have microscopic like uh, atoms from all the different dudes who like pissed in that urinal. Hitting yeah. your napkin, touching gross. your lips, yeah, and I'm saying so. Totally don't disgusting. put your napkin down. And if people say why, why, why are you being strange and not putting your lap napkin on your lap? You say because John Astronomy said so. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Z Man okay. is checking in, guys. He says the new live album by Leatherwolf is awesome. I agree, Z Man. It is great. And he also says you aim toward the insert. What's the insert? Where Ooh. the pipe comes in? I guess where the uh, good old-fashioned oh, oh. mint is located. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. All right, That's next a, next okay. subject. Let's talk some rock and okay. roll. Let's talk some metal. We're going to have to get <clears throat> Ronnie from Red Dragon Cartel on the line in just a couple minutes. But in the meantime, Victor, why don't you uh, run us down some of the, the big events of the week, heavy metal, hard rock-wise? Sure. I guess the, the biggest news was the whole Motley Crue announcement with them signing that they were no longer going to be touring. Uh, my big question is, does that include playing, you know, Las Vegas residencies? Does that include playing 
sporadic uh, festivals over in Europe or Japan when money starts to run out. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, yeah. Um, real quick, we'll, we'll just spend a, a quick minute on this and then get on to the next subject. But, you know, I, I love Motley. They're one of my favorite bands. I looked into the VIP tickets for the uh, PNC Art Center concert in New Jersey. They were $990 oh, for two God. tickets. That was only the 12th row. So I have seen them the last two times they came through town. I think I'm going to pass because I'm just not into sitting in the lawn seats down there anymore. And I, I'm in my old age, I just have to be up front or it's not worth it for me. However, in, I don't have $990 to spend on monthly crew tickets. Last time they came around, the VIPs were like half that. So I don't know what, what the hell is going on. Maybe not half that, but they were definitely not more than 600 Jeez. for two, two That seats. is a lot of money. Yeah. My that, even, is- for, even for somebody who has money, that's a lot of, lot of money, yeah. you know? I mean, I love Motley Crue, but and Alice Cooper's cool, and he's great. I mean, he's like the godfather of all this shock rock. But the, yeah, and the I just saw is, him is, with Maiden, you know. So, and I was right. like right up front with for that show, and it was like you know, fifty bucks or something. Yeah, it's just I am not into these high ticket prices, and uh, I I wish we could figure out uh, a way to make nine hundred bucks, uh, you know, yeah. a shot. You know, yeah, definitely, that'd be crazy. But uh, anyway, I guess that's what people charge now, and uh, all we can hope is to maybe get some free tickets. (laughs) Yeah, but I never get free tickets. People are like, you pay for tickets? I never get free tickets. I mean, sometimes I get free (laughs) tickets to, like, Judas Priest shows through, like, Chip, but I I never get... Yeah, I I shouldn't say never. I rarely get free tickets. I I get free tickets maybe 20% of the time. I pay for my tickets 80% of the time. Correct. So, um... Yeah, Motley Crue, I do believe it'll be the last time that they uh, they do this. I, I, re- I really do. I think, you know, Mick doesn't want to admit it, and he's saying, I'm going to go on and do solo stuff and this and that. But the last two times I've seen him, Mick has looked not well. And, I mean, I've mentioned this on Talking Metal before. I just think physically he's not going to be able to, to take it much longer. Victor, what do you think? I mean, has Mick looked well Post girls, girls, girls. I mean, I think that the decline started way back then. But uh... yeah, yeah, the dude can't move though. If you see him on stage, he he freaking can't move. I mean, and and I noticed. I always thought like I've seen I've seen Motley Crue. I'm talking twelve times probably since 1984, and that's not an exaggeration. I and the last time I saw him was the first time I really felt he wasn't playing as well. Like, you know that fast run in in the solo of Home Sweet Home, that like where he's right, really yeah, shredding? Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. he didn't do it the last time I saw him. And he just wow. like kind of hit the notes. He went, dun, 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 like, like cheated, you know, like something John, wow. John, or, John or I would do when we play live. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't shred that part, you know, and, and made me think, wow, maybe his hands just don't move like they used to. I think his like he like literally it's a bones fusing together kind of a weird situation and poor Mick I mean it's sad yeah anyways how are we time wise should we hit a Motley Crue song and then come back and play another song or what do you guys think because there's more to talk about yeah I think we ought to hit a Motley song in honor of Motley Crue's announcement and then we ought to give Ronnie Mancuso a call yeah okay cool let's do that and 
Yeah, we probably have time to hit a Motley Crue song and then a Beggars and Thieves song. Yeah, why don't we do that? And then uh, we'll come back right in with Ronnie. Cool. We got Chiaki checking in on Facebook. I see Bill Wang, a.k.a. Donnie G. Guys, thanks for joining us. We got a good crowd listening to the live stream tonight. Remember, this is the live stream. We do clean things up and drop things in for the podcast. So what you're listening to, you live stream listeners, is Talking Metal in the Raw. Right now, Victor, how about a little Motley Crue? We'll come back and, and talk about some of the other metal news, maybe on the other side of the interview with Ronnie. Okay, cool. This is a track that Mark and I talked about off the air, really cool track that didn't end up originally on Shout at the Devil. This is I Will Survive. Guys, this is Mark Striegel. You are listening to the Talking Metal Podcast, episode 456. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use offer code ROCKON. R-O-C-K space O-N, ROCKON, is the sponsor code 
We'll have that in today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Please support our sponsors. We need you to support our sponsors. That's the way we're going to keep Talking Metal alive. Squarespace is one of today's sponsors, and they're, they're awesome. They're great. They're amazing, as astronomy might say. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your own business. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Remember to use that Talking Metal special offer code, which is Rock On, and do it upright. We want to thank Squarespace for their support of Talking Metal. Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional website. And it's easy, too. It's just, you know, everything's drag and drop. You can use drag and drop to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within the page. 24-7 support team is located in New York City. They do live chats during the week. You can always get in touch with them. You can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many other websites and social media services. Check them out, squarespace.com. Offer code ROCKON.
That was Beggars and Thieves with We Come Undone. And on the phone, we have Ronnie Mancuso. How you doing, Ronnie? Hey, hi, how are you? Great to talk to you. Where are you calling in from tonight? I'm here in wonderful Las Vegas where the weather's beautiful. Um, and uh, uh, based out of Las Vegas. Excellent. Ronnie, thanks so much for taking the time out to come on to Talking Metal Live and the Talking Metal Podcast. And you've got some amazing stuff going on uh, in addition to what you're doing in the studio, which we're going to get to. But you are part of the great new band Red Dragon Cartel featuring Jake E. Lee. And you guys are really one of the hottest bands in the whole metal world right now. Tell us about it. Well, it's really exciting. It's a... very unexpected. Um, basically, Jake has been a friend of mine for many, many years, going back to the, when he first joined Ozzy. I'd known him that long, and we had stayed in contact. And then when Beggs and Thieves was originally uh, signed to Atlantic Records, he was, had Badlands, and so we became friends in New York, first friends in L.A., then friends in New York, and then he ended up back in Las Vegas. Um, and so actually... Um, it was the, the We Come Undone video, um, the song that you just played, we were doing a video for it, and I had a concept to have a bunch of different artists from the 80s make cameos. So I invited Jake down, and Jake uh, mimicked the solo in the video. And the response on the video was so strong to Jake. I mean, once you got past the first 20,000 views or whatever, it pretty much was Jake, 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 Jake. And... I don't think any of us realized how much love there was out there for Jake um, worldwide and how many people missed him. And I think he had just been, he'd been offered a bunch of super group kind of things. And Jake's such an artiste that he really only wants to be involved in uh, uh, projects where he feels like he's moving forward. And uh, I don't think he had any of those kind of opportunities. So he had chosen to somewhat disappear from the world for quite a long time. So he felt comfortable, and, and um, I work at, with uh, Kevin Churko, who's a very well-known producer in the new metal world, done Five Finger Death Punch in this moment, the last two Ozzy albums, uh, mixed the last Rob Zombie album, etc. Um, so we decided um, to try just working together, and we put together the first song uh, called Cedar. And originally we started out, we were going to do a, you know, a Slash Santana style album that had different singers on different tracks. And the first song we did was Feeder and we want, we thought, who, what would be the voice we'd like on this track? And we thought Robin Zander. And, um, very cool. Luckily enough, we were able to get Robin Zander and Tom Peterson on that track. And, um, that kickstarted the project, and when Jake heard that song and we got that song completed, um, the Red Dragon Cartel was born. So cool. Cool. And then when did the other guys in the band kind of come into the picture? Well, what happened was um, <clears throat> we were going on that premise in the beginning, and uh, <clears throat> we came up with a really fast rocker, and we were thick- Tossing things around, and we thought we were both fans of Iron Maiden Killers album. We thought Paul Deanna would be interesting, so um, put the word out, got in touch with him, and 
he sang the track. That came out great. Um, Maria from In This Moment um, took took one of the tracks and uh, wrote a melody to it. That came out great. But during that time, we were getting to the point where, you know, we weren't going to get David Bowie, even though he wanted, you know, or Steven Tyler or somebody like that. So we thought, you know, we're, we really want to make this into a band. This is turning into something. Jake was very happy. He felt that he was making new, creative, fresh music. He was excited about the project. I was excited about the project. And so somewhere, you know, during the first quarter of making the album, we somewhat decided that we would try to form a band. So I posted, I made a J.K. Lee Needs a Lead Singer Facebook page. And I posted it one time only on my on my Facebook page. And it went viral like crazy. It went all over the world. It was mentioned on tons of radio shows and Eddie Trunk and so on and so forth. And then it was um, in a lot of magazines and stuff. People had mentioned it and referred back to the site. So we ended up getting submissions from all over the world. And at the end of every night, we would go through and we would look at these submissions. And um, inevitably, it came down to uh, two guys who happened to both be Canadians. Um, one was a drummer, but he was also a singer, drummer-singer, um, named Jonas Farley. And um, he was out of Vancouver and had a band called Black Betty. And uh, the other gentleman, John James Smith, um, had sent a video and that we really, really liked. And we kept going back and forth and back and forth and we really couldn't find anybody that, um, that we liked better than him. We didn't want to, um, Jake having worked with Ray Gillen, we knew you could never replace Ray. So we didn't want to go and try to find a singer that was like Ray. That would, that would have been a mistake because there was nobody like Ray. Um, <clears throat> so we eventually came upon these two guys and, Flew them out. They came out and auditioned, and it worked out well. I mean, it would have been a lot easier for us if we would have got a couple guys from LA. <laughs> right. But we really wanted individual, individual, individualistic guys that really had their own character. Yeah, so they're both in the band. This is a real band. That was the thing. At that point, we decided we we're going to make this a real band. And Jake felt that uh, we didn't want to make this a project. Um, so luckily they were able to contribute a lot. So then the album, um, sort of, we sort of changed course somewhat with the album and, um, they were able to contribute even in the writing and uh, when they came out here to work and we just, um, spent a long time and, uh, made a, a, an album we're very proud of. As far as you just mentioned that you didn't want the the band to be more of a project, so there was that possibility initially that it may have just been an album as opposed to going out and touring behind it. At what point did you know that you guys wanted to go out as a collective unit behind the album? You know, I'd, I'd say just as it, as it went along, it originally started um, as a project and as a way to get Jake back out there. And Jake had continued writing the whole time. And uh, although he's, he's not a lyricist or writes melodies, he writes a lot of, had tons of great riffs and, and, and also like fully developed or partially developed song ideas. So he bought hard drive 
by hard drive by hard drive, two or three hard drives full of ideas that he had written all, all through the years, and we sort of categorized and went through those those riffs. Uh, we make categories: fast Zeppelin, slow Sabbath, or just some way to give us some idea what, what what the riffs were or the song ideas were. And then from there, we would develop those into songs. So as we were developing the songs, and as we were getting further along, and as we were realizing that um, our access to talent was only going to go so far, um, it just seemed like a natural progression for us to turn this into a band. And uh, so that's that's pretty much it. Was a very organic process. Now I know you're you're obviously not Jake, but you know there's this whole kind of mystique that that came about with him kind of being absent from the public eye for so many years. And it's just awesome as a fan that he's returned with such strong music because it could have went the other way, you know, and it, and it didn't. And it, it, it gets us fans even more excited that, hey, this music that he's back with and this band is, is hot. But why, why, why do you think he chose to stay away for so long and stay out of the public eye for so long? Well, you know, I don't know all the circumstances, um, to be honest with you, but... I know the thing about Jake is he is doesn't care about money, doesn't care about notoriety. He, he had felt that he accomplished all he needed to accomplish. He had played with Ozzy, he had done Badlands. He felt like he had done made his mark, and and if he never recorded again, it was fine. So I think the situation was, you know, during the '90s when um, all of a sudden anything from that era wasn't cool anymore. Um, the only options were like super group type things like, you know, I'll put, we'll put you together with these four guys, you can go out and play and this or that. And I just think he just wasn't interested in doing that. I think, I think he was, <clears throat> he didn't, never came across a circumstance or a situation that allowed him to progress musically. It was always the things that were, he was invited to do or offered to do. He did a few little things here and there, favors or for fun or to make a little session money or something like that. But they were all like kind of going backwards and Jake didn't want to go backwards. So I think, I think that he just truly bowed out and felt that he would rather just sit home, watch TV and work on cars and, you know, write, fill around with his computer, um, then go out there with something he didn't really believe in or go out there with something that didn't have the integrity or where he felt he was going backwards or, playing a bunch of songs he didn't want to play, you know. Jake is really one of those musicians that's in it for the music and the, and the music only. He really doesn't care. Um, he likes it that people like his music, and he, he, it's not that he doesn't appreciate fans or that people like his music, but he's not in it for the same reason I'd say the majority of musicians are. He's a very unique right. individual. So I, I think he was just waiting, uh, you know, luckily this was the type of situation that was exciting enough and fresh enough for him to say, yeah, maybe I, I want to do this again. Now, we've seen the set lists that you guys have played at the that the shows so far. Um, when you guys hit the road again, I know like you're coming through New Jersey in April, will we be seeing the same set list, you think, or is there a possibility we might see some additional Badlands and Ozzy songs and Red Dragon Cartel songs, for that matter, thrown in the set? Yeah, you know, um, I would think that we're, uh, I would certainly like to add to the set list. 
and uh, change a few things around. And I would assume that that will happen. Um, I know he's been working on a couple of songs um, and trying to get them right. Um, so I would say that you're going to hear uh, maybe a little more Ozzy and a little more Badlands. Um, I think we're playing the core of the the most important uh, Red Dragon Cartel songs at this point. And, um, but I wouldn't, I would like to hear him do, uh, some more Ozzy and, and maybe some more Badlands. Yeah. Definitely. It's, still, definitely. it's still a work in progress. I mean, uh, the live band, um, I'm really looking forward to this initial tour because it's going to give us a chance to really spend the time together to gel as a band. And I think by the time we, um, hit the Monsters of Rock cruise, which is at the end of March. And then after that, we're supposed to be following up with uh, that that whole East Coast and, and Canadian run. Um, I think we'll have a great band at that point. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. The song Killer of Giants, which I recently read Jake talk about that song and how much he likes it. And on Ozzy's last solo tour, he he after many years brought that back into his set. That would be a great one for you guys to do. That's funny you said because that's something he's working on. <laughs> cool. cool. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, that's a um, he, he said he's never heard anybody play that exactly right. It's a very difficult, especially the intro. It's like a finger picking kind of very interesting. Uh, pattern and, and a beautiful song. I'd really like to see that song be played live. And, and uh, that was a very popular song um, off of uh, Ultimate Sin. So hopefully we will play that song. Very, very cool. Uh, so, Ronnie, I w- we'll come back to Red Dragon Cartel, but I wanted to talk a little bit about you right now and uh, your history. And I remember Beggars and Thieves from back in the day, and I even actually went to college with Bobby Borg, uh, and uh, I just wanted yeah, to... At Berkeley. Yeah, at Berkeley. Yeah, that's where I met Mark, and I wanted to ask you, are you from the East Coast originally? No, actually, I was born in Las Vegas. Wow. And then very, very early, I moved to Los Angeles when I was 16 years old um, to pursue a, a recording career. And uh, I had a band with uh, Dana Strum and cool. uh, Louis Molino, um, who would continue on to work with Beggars and Thieves. And um, and then I got involved as a session guitar player for Spencer Proffer, who was having huge success at the time uh, with Quiet Riot. Right. And through Spencer Proffer, the first album I played on was Vanilla Fudge Mysteries, which was... Um, um, Very cool. Released in Atlantic in the early '80s, and uh, Jeff Beck was the only other guitarist on the album. So I was 22 years old and playing on an album with Jeff Beck. Cool. It was quite an honor, and um, so I became sort of the house guitar player. I've actually done much more session work than live playing, and and I did Beach Boys, Vanilla Fudge, uh, Danny Spanos, and that kind of big, pretty big hit that I toured with a little bit. Um, Little River Band. There's a bunch of different projects that came out of uh, Pasha during the time. Dwayne Barron was the engineer who would go on to work on, on the Motley Crue albums and, and then uh, Ozzy No More Tears. So I, I was always working with these great engineers. And then from there, I moved to New York and formed Beggars and Thieves with Louis again, 
we, 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 we met in New York and I moved to New York. And at that time, he was working with Desmond Child, the producer, songwriter, Desmond Child, who wrote everything from You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, Dude Looks Like a Lady, goes, this goes on and on, Living La Vida Loca. Desmond Child was like, like a legendary songwriter. Yeah, I Was Made for Loving You. <clears throat> I Was Made for Loving You from Kiss was his first first big hit. That's right. Yep. Um, that's what really kicked off his career was that song. Absolutely. And... um and so I became tight with Desmond uh, through Louie, because Louie was his favorite singer, and he's really on um, lots of songs like uh, Venomous Poison, Poison by Alice Cooper. So I worked on that with Desmond, uh, Iggy Pop for the Shocker soundtrack. Um, <clears throat> so when I went to New York, um, we put Beggar's Juice together, and we're working with Desmond and then ended up getting signed to Atlantic and, um, and as I continued my career as, so as a, uh, session player also, and also did a lot of jingles and television music too. So I've always been a studio rat to a large extent, but, um, I love New York and, uh, loved living there. Cool. What years were you here in the city? In because uh, like we're Mark and I are like New Yorkers. We're we're here every day. But right. Um. Well, I was actually there, there two times. I was there like from like eighty eight, eighty nine to ninety two, something like that. Then I, then I went back to LA for a couple of years because Beggars and Seas left Atlantic and went to Epic, signed to Epic, and. Um, when we signed Epic, we actually spent quite a bit of time up in Vancouver. We were working with uh, Jim Balance, who's another very well-known uh, songwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Brian Adams, Aerosmith, and that kind of stuff. You know. And um, so <clears throat> when we signed Epic, I moved back to L.A. for a couple of years. And then I was back in New York from 94 to 2000. Do you and remember... I had a studio. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Tell me, tell me about the studio. I uh, a studio uh, with uh, Anthony Esposito. Yeah. Uh, who's from Lynch Mob and also played with Ace on 26th Street between 6th and 7th. And it was uh, uh, a recording studio by night and I mean, by day and by night a rehearsal place. And we had. We've been there, right? John? Yeah, Ramon, yeah, Mark been Ramon. Yeah. You've been Schoolhouse Studio. Yeah, Schoolhouse was great. Yeah. Yes. I've absolutely been there. Mark has been there. And that's what I was going to ask because I was talking to Anthony the other day and he was like, Ronnie is the godfather to my son. So I thought that was so cool that you guys knew each other. And now I, I, I'm trying to wonder if we ever crossed paths. Now, I, I, there was a place that I wanted to ask you about, which would have been happening on your first time living in New York, and it was a place called True Blue. It was on the Upper East Side. Do you remember that bar? They used to have a jam night, and like uh, yeah, uh, I think I, I, I think Sparrow I used to. I he was one of the guys that used to run the jam, and you know w when I first moved to New York in '91, um, that was like the cool place to go, and uh, you know you, you'd get you know people who were in the industry who, you know, had something to do with New York, would go there on Thursday nights and everybody to go up and jam. And it was a really cool event. So I was just wondering if you ever uh, wound up jamming on that stage. But I, You know, I, I think I did at one point, but I think there was some, somewhat in between my two times in, in right. New York. Um, and the thing that was great about New York 
um, Sunday night was Rock and Roll Church at the Limelight. Yeah. And then um, uh, the Cat Club and um, Spodiotis was on Mondays. There was a jam there. In fact, I remember jamming with Vince Neil there one time. And uh, it's a height of Motley's success. And um, then Wednesday night was the Cat Club where everybody for Skid Row got signed out of and whatever. And then the China Club on Thursday, you know, it was just, it was a really great time. I think uh, New York was, um, it was Nirvana. Do you remember that club? That was another place upstairs. Was that a restaurant as well as a club or just a club? Because I I remember the name, but I I hadn't ever been there. Well, I think there was a, there was, there was an Indian restaurant, Nirvana, and then there was a club Nirvana, but I think they were, same kind of thing though, decorated in that scene and, but there was a lot, of, I saw a lot of good people play there. Um, Very to, cool. From, you know, Michael Bolton to uh, Eric Carr from Kiss and just a lot of people used to jam up there. And wow. So New York was, still was and is the most exciting city in the world to me. So. I think Vegas is like, I'm uh, jealous of uh, people who live in Vegas like you. And what's cooler is that you're actually from there because a lot of, you know, musicians may end up in Vegas, but but you're a true person from Vegas, so that's cool to me. Well, you know, it's really interesting because when I came back, um, I I come back because I had a, had a son, and I thought I loved my grandparents dearly, and I thought my family was all here, and I was doing sports music at the time, lots of television music, and it didn't matter where I was. And obviously, you can live a lot cheaper out here. I mean. <laughs> than you can in New York. So I came back to Vegas and initially probably maybe just to stay a couple of years or something and let my grandparents enjoy my baby and so on and so forth. And um, then all of a sudden it seemed like everybody I knew from both LA, New York, and even Canada moved to Las Vegas. So it's just become... I don't know why that was. I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with taxes and, and people being able to buy homes and the fact that the airport is a, a major hub airport, so it's easy to get sites in and out and so on and so forth. But um, it's amazing the amount of musicians that have ended up living here, you know, um, uh, rock yeah. and roll musicians. You know, Absolutely. so many guys here. Brent Muscat, Sassafras, Pussycat, Paul Sertino, was one that was in the cult. I mean, I could go on and on for Ronnie yeah, We just, we just I mean, had DJ for... Ashba on last week, and he's he's out there now, too. DJ Ashba, where you go, exactly. Yeah, he's out here now, now too. And, and uh, Vince Dill's out here, Dean Strom. Um, I mean, it's just wild. It's, it's amazing. So Vegas has changed quite a bit, and, and it's really become a world-class city as far as that goes. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that everybody ended up out here. Very cool. When I was out in Vegas uh, with Ace for Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, uh, I guess it was literally nearly a year ago now, but it was it was in 2013, and I ran into Brent Musket and um, and some of the people uh, that he knew, and uh, it was just such a cool vibe, and I, I want to get back out there. But did, you guys jammed together, right? You and Brent? Yeah, actually, me and, and Brent and um, me and Brent started a band called uh, the Sin City All Stars, and um, we opened for Tesla, we opened for Slaughter, Skid Row, um, well, LA Guns, uh, 
Vince Neil, I mean, on and on and on. A um, bunch of different bands like that. And that was just for fun. It was just a chance for me to play and have some fun. Originally, Jizzy Pearl was a singer on the first show, um, who also lives out here. Um, and then Lee took over. Uh, Lee from Prison Thieves took over. And um, so that was called the Sin City All-Stars. And that lasted for a couple of years. And then Brent wanted to continue to play and, and to move into the hotels and do that kind of thing. So he, um, and I was only really interested in opening shows and doing that kind of thing. So he changed it to the Sin City Sinners and, and they became quite successful as a uh, Vegas act, you know, working the hotels. And they're still out there playing and doing, and doing well. So yeah, nice cool. to see them and they're, they're out playing in different hotels and venues and, they they bring a lot of musicians in to jam with them, so they have a good thing going. So yeah, there's there's quite a lot of active rock and roll still in this town. Very cool. There's also a lot of recording going on in Las Vegas. You have a studio that you have out there. Tell us a little bit about some of the acts that you've worked with out in your studio. Well, um, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, when I worked um, when I first started working on the Beggars and Thieves album, latest uh, We Are the Broken Hearted album. I just met a gentleman named Kevin Churko, and Kevin at the time was recording Ozzy. He recorded uh, Black Rain, I think it was called, and then the last Ozzy album, produced, co produced, and wrote, um, produced and co wrote those albums. And he was driving to uh, LA every week and working with Ozzy, and, and, uh, and I, he agreed to help me record the drums in my studio. So he brought over all his preamps and everything and he and helped me get set up. And we ended up recording drums with, and uh, bass and drums with Tommy Price and Enzo, uh, who both played with Joan Jett from Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, a couple of New York guys, to reference again. So them out there. And then Kevin ended up mixing the album. And when he was mixing the album, he kept saying, you know, this is really a great sounding drum room. I really love the sound of your room. And um, he was looking to build a place or to, to move into a bigger place because he had, uh, had been working out of a, a separate house that he had. And so in the plaza that I have my studio and uh, my family restaurant that we own, we had a space available next door to us. So Kevin ultimately... Uh, leased that space and built it out very elaborately. There's two, two full control rooms and a vocal booth and a tech room and a lounge and did a beautiful job on that room and then connected everything, wired it all together. So the studio is called Hideout Studios. And, um, he proceeded to do, to produce Five Finger Death Punch. Um, the last three albums were all done here. Um, in this moment, Blood, um, which is a very successful album, new band, mixed the latest Rob Zombie album. Um, just finished Hell Yeah, Vinnie Paul's band. Wow, that's um, some real heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah, um, real yeah. And the, all the Five Finger albums, both of the last two Five Finger albums debuted at number two um, on the Billboard charts, which is great. He also uh, mixed the latest Rob Zombie album. 
Rob and John Five came out for a week and finished up some tracks here, and then he mixed the album here. Um, just finished up Hell Yeah, and in a couple of days, Papa Roach is coming. So cool. it's really been um, great. Kevin's had a huge amount of success, and then which has also allowed me to pick up some other work. I finished uh, an album for Ron Keel called Metal Cowboy um, that I'm very proud of. It was just released. Obviously, I did the Red Dragon Cartel album. Um, been mixing a couple tracks for Loudness. Um, so it's been, it's just been great. Um, my, my room is considered, uh, studio three slash the drum room of hideout studios. Um, yet the studios are all they're connected and wired and we got video and they, so I can plug in anything in any room can be, uh, mic from any room and the two studios function as one entity and it works out really well. Because I can do my business, and there's only a small portion of time when you're doing a record when you need a big, gigantic drum room. <clears throat> so it works out really well for both of us. And, and Hideout has really become, uh, you know, hugely successful um, due to Kevin. And Kevin uh, worked for Mutt Lang for five years, so wow. um, he's got some great credentials and, you know, sets the bar very high and was also the executive producer and the mixer of the Red Giant Cartel album. So he's been a, a, a great influence and a great uh, mentor for me. Um, and we're having a lot of success. It's a lot of fun. And it's just great to have all these new, fresh bands coming through. I'm looking forward. I just met the guys from Papa Roach on New Year's, actually, and I'm looking forward to them coming in. They're very nice guys, and they'll be here in a week. And uh, it's been exciting. A lot of really interesting, great music coming out of here. Excellent. And to circle back, before we let you go, to circle back to the Red Dragon Cartel record, how much production time was actually spent in your studio working on this? Was this something you guys went in and banged out, or is it something that you spent a lot of time kind of going over all the individual stuff? Yeah, this this record took over a year. I mean, we were, weren't working uh, seven days a week, 12-hour days. We weren't on a wow. fixed budget or a fixed situation. I mean, we weren't working. Every, I mean, we didn't have a delivery date, so we had right. the time okay. and the luxury. We had the time and the luxury to really make sure that things were right. So, you know, uh, there was a lot of time spent on this album. It was a very elaborate album. It took uh, over a year to make. Um, if we would have been working 12 hours a day, six days a week, it still would have taken a good six or eight months because it's that kind of record, you know, as far as with the layering and just that's the style of production that comes out of hideout studios, regardless of what it is, it's still off, uh, somewhat based on, uh, you know, Mutt Lang style production, which is, you know, fairly complex and layered and, that's what we like, and that's the sound that comes out of here no matter what. So um, all the projects that are done here um, have a thread that runs through them, and that's certainly with Kevin Shirko, and uh, sonically, I think they sound great, and, and they're cutting edge, and it's very exciting to be part of that family. Excellent. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for taking the time out tonight to uh, come on Talking Metal. And uh, we are, I know Mark and I are definitely looking forward to seeing you when you hit the uh, East Coast and uh, you got a date in Jersey. 
And, uh, you know, April 2nd, April 2nd. I think. We'll yeah, be we'll there. We'll definitely be there. Wait to see you guys. Yeah, it's going to be cool. And then if you guys take it over to Europe, Victor, we'll see you in Spain. Absolutely. <laughs> Yes, Victor, yeah. we do have, uh, I was actually looking at the itinerary today, and I don't know exactly what date it is, but in May, we'll, we will be in Spain. Excellent. Very so cool. Really? Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, I already have a babysitter lined up for April 2nd, <laughs> so I'm, my wife and I will definitely, definitely be there. <laughs> I'll make sure you have passes and uh, full access, and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing you all. Cool. Let's get into some Red Dragon Cartel right now. What do you have on tap there, Victor? The second track off of the album. This is Shout It Out. Great. Another sponsor that is joining us for today's episode of Talking Metal is Audible. And I want you to use this exact web address to visit their site. Just use the web address, guys. It'll totally help us out. We need your support on this. Audiblepodcast.com slash Talking Metal. That will be linked in today's show notes. Use that link to visit Audible. Get some great books, audiobooks, that is. Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks, is the place to go. Talking Metal listeners can download a free ebook on us and get an extended free trial of the service by going to audiblepodcast.com slash talking metal. I want to thank Audible for its support of Talking Metal. Audible is the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks, and we have a special offer exclusively for our listeners coming up. Audible offers over 150,000 books covering virtually every genre. If you want to listen to a book, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere. On your iPhone, your iPad, your Macs, your PC, Kindles, and so on. And here's the best part. Audible is offering Talking Metal listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Again, go to audiblepodcast slash talkingmetal. We'll have that link through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com. And you will be able to take advantage of this special offer. By doing so, you not only get the chance to check out a great service, you support our show as well. Again, I've mentioned before there's a lot of great rock and roll books up there. Gene Simmons actually narrates his own books. They're up there on Audible. The Ozzy book, I Am Ozzy, is up there. 
all sorts of great stuff. I even noticed Opie, Opie and Anthony have a lot of their shows and stuff posted up on Audible. So it's a great place. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. It's right up our alley. We love reading and listening to these rock and roll heavy metal books that are out. So many of them coming out. So check it out. And once again, get your free audiobook and kick off your free trial at audiopodcast slash talking we are back and that was a little red dragon cartel with shouted out off of the self-titled debut by red dragon cartel yeah, on Facebook, Bob just uh, checked in and said he bought the CD on Tuesday, which I believe is when it was released, and he thinks it's just a great record. So, cool news, Bob. Thanks for listening to Talking Metal, and I'm glad you enjoy the, uh, you're enjoying the record. I have the downloads that Frontier sent me probably over a month ago at this point, but I definitely want to get the Red Dragon Cartel record album on cd i'd love to have a physical copy of that so i'm going to pick that up soon earlier guys we were talking about motley crew and i gotta tell you i just finished vince's book vince neal's book which he wrote back in 2010 which is a great read i went right into bobby brown's new book uh it's called something like lust and love on the sunset strip (laughs) this gives this book bobby brown's book gives new meaning to the 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 phrase tell all. Wow. I mean, she almost is giving too much information on people like Janie Lane and Tommy Lee who she was engaged to and and uh, the guy from Millie Vanilli she dated for a while, wow. for Kevin Costner, hey. she almost burned down the the guy's house, Leonardo DiCaprio wow. whose penis Whose penis is bigger than Tommy oh Lee's, according to her. So there's, it's a ju- it's a juicy book. It's raw. It's raunchy. And this just in, I think Bobby is gonna call in for an interview. Wow. So hopefully we can hook that up soon. Yeah. Jeez. And it's it's a fun read. I I just started it like three days ago. I'm halfway through the book already. It's it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So pick up Bobby <laughs> Brown's new book, guys, if you haven't read that. And Sharice Neal, who is Bobby's co-star on the show Ex-Wives of Rock, which the first two seasons aired on Fuse. I don't know if it'll be back for a third season or not, but she's a big part of the book, wow. too. So good good rock and roll, heavy metal read, uh, Bobby Brown's new book. And out on Simon & Schuster, you're familiar with yes. those. Who handled Aces Press? Was it somebody named Stephanie? Hmm. Because I, I was talking with Stephanie. I think it was Stephanie. I, I actually think them. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's very nice. We. I heard she does a lot of the the rock. Yeah. Books we for went them. to the Today Show together, if I'm correct. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And it's probably the same same PR person that's. Yeah. I, I just got to go back to my email, but uh, I remember the person that I worked with uh, was very nice, very cool. Well, we're already way past an hour here. So, Victor, what else is going on in the heavy metal hard rock world of news this uh, this past week? Two other big news that have uh, been reported in the last few days. Two other big items, I should say. Um, first, uh, with Metallica mentioning that uh, various members mentioning that the movie that they released uh, didn't do so hot, that only the core members or, or core fans went out. And hardcore fans, yeah. Hardcore, yeah. And I guess yesterday, James Hetfield 
uh, claiming that the Orion Festival, excuse me, the Orion Festival uh, tanked. So uh, wow, the the one in where was the last one in Detroit? Yeah, because I know the one in Atlantic City they said tanked. Um, but I, I was thinking the one in Detroit may have fared better. Um, Atlantic City, by the way, like I know Kanye West can go down there and sell out like, you know, two nights, no problem. However, most bands that I go see down there, it's like kind of a weird place. If you don't know Atlantic City, it's it's in kind of South Jersey, closer, much closer to Philly than it is New York. And it's it sits like way the heck out there, like kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I, I do know that, that some bands have trouble pulling in the crowds that they might get in other parts of just simply New Jersey. I mean, which is like such a heavily, densely populated state. But Atlantic City sometimes is a little weird. And like a friend just emailed me and said, hey, Allison Chains is playing in Atlantic City. Do you want to go see him? And it's like, eh. It's kind of far for it's us. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's far, and you you can't make it really home in one night. It's like stay over over two hour drive. Yeah, and you, you got to stay over, and it's a whole See, rigmarole think, that goes on. I think on they should have had the Orion thing down by the PNC. That I think would have made more sense. Oh, totally. That would have made way more sense. Way more sense. Or you know, I don't know, Meadowlands yeah. or somewhere. I don't know, but but that's just. Because Meadowlands is good, especially if you're not playing a show in Brooklyn or New York City and you play the Meadowlands, which is essentially where the Super Bowl is being held this Sunday. Um, you know, it's giant stadium and then there's the arena there, the MetLife Arena. And it's like people from New York will come out f- right. for that. If, if you know, especially if you're not playing a show in Brooklyn or in, in Long right. Island, people from New York will definitely come out to the, the Meadowlands, yeah. New Yorkers are not going to drive what, down what, yeah, to Atlantic what? City, which is a big production, like you know, and yeah, I mean, a couple will, but right, not many. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting news. What else? What else is going on, Victor? The other thing, or actually, there's three items. Uh, there's the Metallica. There's Black Sabbath saying that they're willing to now record another album as a follow up to Thirteen, which all along they'd been saying no. And at the Grammys, they mentioned both Tony Iommi and Ozzy mentioned that they would be open to doing something new. Um, I mean, I think 13 turned out well. It's a very respectable album that lines up with their classic stuff. I I would honestly say that it's better than, you know, Technical Ecstasy and and Never Say Die. So it's a risky thing. I really wanted to hear Ozzy go back and do one more solo album where he kind of in the, in the same way that with the Sabbath 13 record, he captured or they captured the spirit of, of vintage Sabbath. I'd like to hear him do another solo record where he captures the spirit of vintage 80s era, Brandy Rhodes, Jakey Lee era, Ozzy, uh, one last time. Because as much as Scream and Black Rain were, were fun records, they they were not retro records where he was stepping into his classic sound, that classic sound that we all love and expect from, from Ozzy. They were more modern sounding records and at times even sounded like maybe a Rob Zombie influence here and there, you know, random newer influences. I'd love to hear him return to that classic Ozzy sound. It sounded like Gus G was ready to go with that as well as Tommy Clufetis. But, uh, you know, if you want us to do another Sabbath record, go for it. I do think you risk uh, the, the, uh, 
you know, possibility of maybe doing what Alice in Chains did, where their their Black Gives Way to Blue record was so celebrated, and you know, the devil put dinosaurs here, which a lot of people like you, Victor, really liked. It was kind of like people weren't as excited by it because it's like they already kind of came back. The surprise was over. I don't. I don't know. I'm all for it. I'd love to hear another Sabbath record. I'd even love more to hear an amazing one last amazing Ozzy record. I, I agree. I, I think these last few Ozzy albums, like you're saying, the the 80s albums had like a certain amount of like, I don't know, like maybe danger to them. Not danger, but a certain amount of thirst where, you know, they were sort of trying to push certain boundaries. And these last two were a little too safe or too polished. I don't know. But I don't know. The, thinking about Sabbath saying that, it reminded me of a lot of when Deep Purple came back with Perfect Strangers, where that album was just huge and everyone loved it. And then when the following album came out, it's similar to the uh, Alice in Chains analogy that you made. Um, yeah, the House of Blue Light record by Deep Purple was a great record, too. There was a couple of really good songs in there, like Mitzi, Mitzi Dupree was a great song. And um, what was the, the first song off that record was... Uh, shit, shit. Oh, Bad Attitude. Uh, black and white was a great song great great record but yeah people just weren't excited by it uh all right cool we got to wrap it up guys but one last metal news item for the week victor yes randy blythe has announced that he needs time away from lamb of god uh he's burnt out after this whole touring cycle and uh, what a touring cycle being in jail in the czech republic and Everything that took place with that, it was big news uh, last year. Uh, I guess they've also mentioned that he's recorded a, a documentary while he was there about the whole ordeal, and he's writing his memoirs that are supposed to come out this year. So it's not as if he's disappearing from the public eye. Right. Hmm. So there, there's going to be a lot of Randy Blythe still out there. Uh, it's just that he wants to you know, sort of step away from Lamb of God and sort of you know, recharge the batteries before getting back involved. And I mean, a band as big as Lamb of God is, I mean, they are one of the bigger metal acts. Um, I mean, I could see that after so many albums and so much success that you sort of don't want to, you know, sort of pigeonhole yourself. And he probably wants to come out and try to, uh, you know, improve upon what they've done with these last few great albums. Yeah, definitely. John, you interviewed Randy. I don't think I spoke with Randy once at backstage in an Ospes, but it wasn't for an interview. Uh, but John interviewed Randy, right? There, we both did, right? Were we, we both, both on the, yeah, 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 we were both we on both the line did. for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our first interview. Wow, we got to go back and, and listen to that. But um, Randy's a great guy. I, I really like him. I, the interview we did with him, I remember being maybe a little rough now that I'm re- remembering it. Uh, but I remember then when I spoke with him without a microphone, without with not in an interview sweating, setting backstage at OzFest, uh, he was really cool, really cool cool guy. He was a big supporter of the West Memphis Three. Memphis Three, yeah. I remember he saw you wearing that shirt one time and, and said, like, hey, man, I like that shirt. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So – Anyways, maybe we should end with a little Lamb of God tonight. What do I you guys think? think? That, I think that would be very appropriate. And uh, I think we had a great show, guys. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners uh, out there worldwide, uh, the usual suspects. You guys know who you are. Donnie uh, G says that yeah. House of Blue Light was, was a great record. Good call. He's telling me. Thanks, Donnie G. Thanks, Z-Man. Thanks, Chiaki. Thanks to... 
Well, yeah, pretty good crew out there tonight listening. Very the cool. guys on Twitter, Todd, and there's that other guy on Twitter. Do I still have my Twitter page open? I don't. There was somebody else on Twitter who's one of our regulars, Thunderbolt nice. or something. I can't remember. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, you heard the announcements from our sponsors. Wow, this is so important that you go support these guys. I've been on Audible this week using the link from TalkingMetal.com. I actually downloaded Dangerous Women, a book by George R.R. R. Martin. Game of Thrones fame, which I'm looking forward to listening to on my my droid phone. So support us there. Support Squarespace. Get your website through them. Use the code SLASH when you're on Squarespace. That all comes right back to us, guys, and that helps us out. Donations, we always dig those. We got a PayPal button on the account. And buy a T-shirt. If you can't afford to, to, to support us, just uh, go write a review on iTunes. We need those reviews. and also, just listen to this stream. The Live 365 stream is 24-7. Victor, you just put a bunch of new music up there, right? Yep. Uploaded 70 new tracks. Very Oh, new. sweet. Nice. Yeah, from the 80s all the way up to today. Um, today, literally, <laughs> as in tracks that have been forwarded by labels or PR people this week. So uh, you can check out the new Bohemoth, for example, is up there, which we also played during the pre-show. And uh, just a bunch of great tracks from over the years. We have the various playlists set up. So if there are certain hours or certain decades that you enjoy listening, just check out the schedule that's up there on the site. Yeah. And you can see what's going on and what's up next. Cool. Nice. All right, guys. Nice. Thanks so much. Let's hear some Lamb of God. What track is this? This track comes off of Wrath. It is In Your Words. Thanks, guys.
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com, use offer code ROCK. On R O C K space O N all caps rock on.